If you are the assembly, I am the assembly's splendor. If you are the beauty's thunder, I am the produce of love. If you are the dawn, my tears are your dew. If I am the traveler's night, you are my twilight. It's hard not to be carried away by the emotion of this poetry. Um, when you flip open a book of Sufi poetry, there's an intimacy with life and the divine that drips off of every single word. And the closest thing many of us have in a predominantly Christian culture would be the Song of Solomon in the Bible. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the Song of Solomon or the Canticle or the Song of Songs, whichever it's called in your version. Uh, but here's just a snippet of what you're missing out on here. Um, your neck is like a tower of ivory, your eyes like the pools of Heshvan by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose, this is great, is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Now, hopefully the tower of Lebanon was a beautiful tower and this wasn't a, a slight against the beloved here, uh, but there is a deep intimacy in that text to the point of erotic love. And it feels that way often in Sufi poems, perhaps not fully erotic love, but madly in love, exuberant love letters that are sent across time and space. The poem you heard in our, our reading today was from the British Indian poet, uh, Muhammad Iqbal, uh, also known as uh, Allama Iqbal or the most learned Iqbal. He was born in Punjab in the late 1800s, and his life was one of deep commitment to his people, the Muslims of British India. Today, we, we would say Iqbal was Pakistani, but all his life he lived under colonial rule, and Pakistan was merely a dream that he helped dream for the Muslims of British India. He was born into a deeply religious family. His father was a successful tailor. He was educated. Uh, from an early age uh, in several languages, as well as the sciences, uh, philosophy, math, and so on, uh, just as in many of our, uh, uh, many in our culture were educated in Latin as a poetical and philosophical language, Iqbal learned Persian, and that was the philosophical language uh, of his uh, time. Later in life, most of his poetry would be in Persian, or as we know it, Farsi, and it's a beautiful language, one that I've not had the opportunity to get to know much. Iqbal would be educated in philosophy and Lahore, publishing his first book on economics of all things before studying in Europe, in Germany and elsewhere. His doctorate would focus on the metaphysical tradition, uh, traditions of the Persian empire and beyond. Upon moving back to Lahore, he worked in the government and quickly gave that up. Uh, and uh, started a law practice. This was a man, a Renaissance man in many ways that, you know, he had a law practice, he studied philosophy, published in economics. Uh, and by the way, he also did governmental work and was a, a Sufi mystic poet. Um, and it was at that time amidst shifting careers uh, and also divorcing the wife that he married when he was 15 years old, as it was the custom um, and the worldwide education that he received that he, he started to turn his heart and mind to the religious and to poetry. He critiqued the West and he was educated. He was steeped in Western education. He critiqued it for its materialism and for the separation of religious life from the rest of your life. 
the compartmentalization of the religious, the spiritual, and the mystical. And perhaps he had a point. You know, we often compartmentalize our values. Uh, one might look at our current context and go, look, see how destructive a religious life is when we see something like QAnon or uh, far-right evangelical Christianity run amok. I imagine Iqbal would look at that and say, no, 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 no. That is merely the fruits of a disconnected life. Now, I wonder if he was onto something in the early 1900s. Uh, Muslim intellectuals in British India certainly thought he was for their time. He started to write poetry, and uh, it was a poetry that was infused with his own philosophical connections and passions, or concepts and passions. Uh, he, he felt the highest good in life was self-knowledge, the improvement of wisdom and character. And when we look to our own Unitarian history, we find that concept too, what was called salvation by character, right? And eventually his life and work would produce volumes of poetry and his passion for the Islamic community would help dream the dream of Pakistan, an independent nation free of the oppression and scapegoating heaped upon Muslims by British colonial rule. His life was remarkable and I could keep going. But his poetry, uh, that was the introduction to me for Iqbal and how I've come to know him. And I just want to share one example and, and, and just listen for some of the concepts and, and some of the ideas that are in here from his collection, Tulip in the Desert, which is really resplendent. Other worlds exist beyond the stars. More tests of love are still to come. This vast space does not lack life. Hundreds of other caravans are here. Do not be content with the world of color and smell. Other gardens there are, other nests too. What is the worry if one nest is lost? There are other places to sigh and cry for. You are an eagle, flight is your vocation. You have other skies stretching out before you. Do not let mere day and night ensnare you. Other times and places belong to you. Gone are the days when I was alone in company. Many here are my confidants now. When I did an intensive study in Turkey and we visited the tomb of Rumi in Konya, we had copies of Iqbal's poetry with us, this very book. And it might seem odd, Rumi was everywhere in Turkey, but Iqbal was a continuation of the deep and lasting legacy of Sufi poets. And we meant no disrespect to Rumi, we only meant to look at the threads connecting Rumi to all who came after him, including Iqbal. And so why bring up Muhammad Iqbal? Why bring up Rumi and Konya and Turkey and uh, this sort of erotic, madly in love poetry? Well, today is the day after Nowruz, the Iranian and Persian New Year. It's held every spring uh, on the equinox and it's a time for connection and family. The traditions are wide ranging. There's special foods and family dinners that last long into the night until the equinox arrives. Uh, there's Amu Nowruz, uh, a figure with a long beard, a long white beard that brings gifts to children. And that sounds a little familiar, right? The practice that sticks out the most to me, though, is the giving and receiving of books of poetry, specifically Sufi poetry. Rumi, Hafiz, Iqbal, absolutely. And so many other poets, uh, some we have access to and some that have not yet been translated into English. The new year in Iran brings 
begins with the reading of this ecstatic spiritual poetry to one another. I want to celebrate that today. Sufism often gets put on a, a pedestal sometimes uh, in my experience, um, or sometimes it's described as Islam light, uh, the accessible Islam for everyone. But as a tradition, it is deeply Islamic. It's rooted in the Quran, the Hadith, and the customs of the Muslim people, wherever they may be. But Sufism uh, is also a familiar story. As a mystical tradition, the language and expression of the divine is so deeply linked with the mystics of nearly any tradition. And so for me today, on this weekend of Nowruz, I find myself longing for the ecstatic, longing for that close, deeply emotional experience. You've no doubt seen uh, uh, videos or images of the Semizen of Turkey, the, the whirling dervishes. Now, when you're in Turkey, whether really if you're in Istanbul, um, it's almost like seeing street preachers in the United States. Some of the Semizen are the real deal. And some are just someone who woke up that morning and decided to twirl on a corner, often quite disastrously. You see it all when you're in Turkey. But when you see the actual Semizen, the whirling is almost indescribable. The music is meditative. And when you see them, go, go ahead afterwards today and find a video of them. Take a look at their faces if you can. And it's those expressions that, the, that are the heart of mystical experiences, of deep intimacy with life. One of my favorite paintings at the Art Institute of Chicago is the, the Ecstasy of St. Francis Xavier by the painter Baglioni. And there in that painting is that same expression on Xavier's face as you would find on the Semizen, the whirling dervishes. Struck by that intimacy, overwhelmed by that feeling of being rooted and connected to everything. Now, I'm not saying that on this Nowruz, Unitarian Universalists need to go and get slain by the Holy Spirit. But as a religious tradition, I do believe we need to center joy and connection more intentionally. The justice work we claim can be a deep and wide valley of gloom if we let it. Yet what any community of resistance teaches us, including the oppressed Muslim communities of British India in the 1900s, is that there is still a deep well of joy to be found. For Iqbal, again, the words are just so beautiful. If you are the assembly, I am the assembly's splendor. I could just keep going reciting that poem. For Iqbal, his Sufi Islamic outlook provided that deep well of joy and resistance. It provided freedom of the spirit. For St. Francis Xavier, uh, it was the mystical tradition surrounding Jesus and the spiritual exercises he developed uh, with St. Ignatius Loyola. Uh, they would go on to found the Society of Jesus known as the Jesuits. For Unitarian Universalists, there is a lot of openness in our tradition and some would say that there is no direction at all to any sense of the mystical. And when I say mystical, I'm thinking wondrous works just as well, or wonder-filled. I don't think we'll have our own paintings of agony and ecstasy in our religious lives anytime soon, but I do think, and I encourage you all, that when you have those moments 
And you'll, you certainly know what I mean here. I hope you know what I mean here. Those moments when your heart and mind are lifted just a little bit off the earth and connect with right here, right now. The joy of that moment. When you feel that, lean into it. Embrace it. And can I say this without citing 20 sources, but I suspect the West has an intimacy problem. And for religious path such as ours that often begins with the rational, I can't speak for you, but I know I've pushed away those feelings of deep connection. I know I would never sit down and write a poem like Iqbal's that speaks of love's splendor in the way that he did, or even the writer of the Song of Solomon. But Unitarian Universalism has evidence of what Iqbal or Rumi or any of the Sufi poets experienced and wrote down. And I just need to look to Ralph Waldo Emerson, a man who, despite his leadership and beautiful words, was emotionally cold and distant. There are so many stories of him being just completely aloof and to the point of rudeness of not wanting to engage the emotional in public. But in his book, Nature, a very uh, simple volume here, you know, a couple of 100 pages or so, he describes his own mystical experience rooted in the forest. And he writes, in the woods, we return to reason and faith. There I feel that nothing can befall me in life. No disgrace, no calamity, which nature cannot repair. Standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe air and uplifted into infinite space, all mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or parcel of God. When were you last bathed in the blithe air of life? When were you last uplifted into infinite space? It might seem like a luxury we cannot afford with all of what we call the work of justice before us, but I would reject such a notion. Iqbal wrote poetry of his experiences amidst great oppression. And it's a common theme with Sufi poets. I wanna introduce you to another Sufi poet. Her name was Sufia Kamal. And she was raised in a single parent household in Bangladesh. Her father left when she was just seven months old to pursue religious enlightenment. And despite this, her upbringing was rooted in Sufi Islamic experiences. She also married very young uh, as was the custom. And from that, she emerged and began busying herself in social work. Now, Bangladesh at the time of her birth was in an immensely patriarchal society, and it was incredibly oppressive, poor, uh, still toiling with the after effects of colonialism. And so she immersed herself in social work and she participated in Gandhi's non-cooperation movement, using her gifts wherever she could, spinning cloth with marks of protest woven on them and ensuring that they were handed out and woven into garments that people would wear at protest. And despite being raised by her mother and her relatives, you know, she still technically was part of the aristocracy of Bangladesh at the time. So her, pro, her, her forays in the protest were met with absolute scorn. And we're noticing this. If you've been following the news about the royal family in England, the aristocracy does not comment on the plight of the people. And yet Sophia kept writing. She kept weaving. She kept working with people and protesting 
and showing up. And her life would experience tragedy. Her home was destroyed by a flood uh, of which her family never recovered. Her husband died of tuberculosis and she was left on her own. She was a widow in a society that had no place for widows. And so she didn't let that keep her down. Suddenly she was among the people. She was no longer of the aristocracy. And she decided this isn't gonna stop me. I'm gonna become a school teacher. She organized literary conferences. She advocated for workers' rights and women's rights. And the loss of her aristocratic standing was not a tragedy to her. It was liberating for her. And it was a challenge that she met. Here she was immersed in daily life in the real problems that surrounded her country and her people and her society. And this pattern continued for the rest of her life. She was known to be humble, compassionate, not adhering to this political party or that in politics, uh, but adhering to living her values, that Sufi Islamic drive of connection with everything. You know, it's, this is a hard realization, but it's, it's hard to find a good collection of women Sufi poets. There's a couple of varying quality, just as we you know, uh, saw with our haiku service. Uh, of lifting up women haiku poets. And I certainly hope this changes. Iqbal might not have been known to you, but his works are widely available. But Sufia Kamal, I only just recently learned of her life and legacy. But I would encourage you to learn more and to dig deep. What remains here on this day after Nowruz is a rich tradition that Islam offers the world. Here we have poets who are dedicated to justice in ways that I can't imagine. And still there was room for beauty, for love, for deep connection and intimacy. In many ways, it was their mysticism, their experience of it, that fueled their work for justice. It enlivened them and it brought joy to that work. And so in the spirit of this weekend, in the spirit of seeking out our own moments where we are bathed by the blithe air on this first day of spring, let's read some Sufi poetry to one another in the tradition of Nauruz. And so Nauruz Mubarak to all of you. And I end with these words from Sufia Kamal. I have taken possession of that love of yours that fills the earth's vessel till it overflows, filling my eyes, filling my heart and filling my two hands. How unbearable is this joy that this love is so intense with the touch like arrows of its golden rays, inner bud blooms as quickly as grass. Illumined in my heart, it brings jewel inlaid riches. That's why I'm wealthy. My joy will not perish. With images ever new, this world has gratified me, given as, to, given as it is to praise, to perfumed blossoms dripping honey. The diurnal light of sun at every watch of the night, merging hour by hour with your loves, every letter will set. Ever new messages I hear, my heart is overcome, so in love I compose my answering letter. Warmed from the Sindhu's expanse of river, these clouds upon clouds of gentle moist air ever bring these love letters then carry them afar. The eager heart grows devoted as an unmarried girl, so it longs to compose scores upon scores of ever new messages of love and amours. The heart fills with joy, grows voluble, so I've gathered hence from the mortal earth, from the horizon's expanse impassioned, illumined, 
that love of yours. This was the love and experience that fueled Sophia Kamal in her work of justice, in her work of advocacy, in her daily life. Noruz Mubarak, blessed be to all of you. Amen.